0: Welcome back into another behind the yellow line. We got a full crew tonight, Jeremy and Randall and lots going on in the world of baseball world series ongoing right now, and plenty of things in the world of the Chicago Cubs as uh award season, free agents, minor league news, plenty of things to talk about there. But I think it's important to start with the fact that we are recording this show on the evening of November 2nd, Wednesday night here, we're recording this and gentlemen, it's been six years six years ago tonight extra innings on the road after a rain delay the cubs take game seven they win the world series and uh, pretty cool that we ended up recording here on wednesday night six years to the day it all came together
1: it's not just six years to the date But it's also the same day of the week. It was also a Wednesday, November 2nd of 2016. And, uh, you know, I realized that today. I said, how can that possibly be? And then it realizes that uh, it's been six years. It's been a little while. But uh, yeah, convenient that we ended up recording tonight. And what, what a night that was. What an occurrence that was. What a fall that was for all of the millions of people around the world in the Chicago Cubs fan base.
2: It's crazy to think about. I mean, honestly, that night is probably, uh, you know, the greatest sports night, you know, I think any of us will ever probably experience in our lives. Like, I don't know how anything else could ever top that. I mean, hopefully we'll have really high highs, especially with the Cubs. But like that, that was just a thrilling, epic moment from start to finish just crazy how it all played out. And I know, and every time I watch it, I'm always like, you know, cause the Rajay Davis Homer and everything, but the Cubs were never, I always point out, the Cubs were never losing no. in that game. They were never losing. I know people's hearts were in their throats. They uh, every theory went down, but the Cubs at no point in that game ever were less. I mean, it started off obviously with the Fowler Homer one, nothing and they were never losing at worst tide. So just a crazy night. And, you know, I always a special night I think we'll always have with us. And I my one of my favorite nights obviously ever.
1: It, it only felt like they and we were losing, losing health, losing all manner of things. It only felt that way, Jeremy.
2: Yeah, I know. We all, you know, we all saw the Davis home run. We all felt the kitness. We all saw Chapman there basically throwing like hanging sliders in the ninth inning. They couldn't get around it, but they were never losing. We felt yeah. like bad things were gonna happen, but Great things happened. Yeah, it
0: really was perfect. I think if there's one thing, if you really want to nitpick that would have made it even better was it'd be a home game, right? If game seven happened to be at Wrigley Field, but it worked out perfectly, right? And if the Cubs were going to go out and win that World Series, as I said, extra innings on the road, you throw a rain delay in there, your elite pitcher. At the end of the ballgame, blows it to Rajay Davis, of all people. And instead of doing what the Cubs always do, which is then curl up and die and break our hearts, they bounce right back. And Ben Zobrist, Miguel Montero, I've been critical of Albert Elmora. He didn't become the player I wanted him to be, but damn – tagging up and getting to second base and putting yourself in that position late in the ball game it's just incredible and remember Chris Bryant nearly homered in that at bat too maybe he would be a cub if he had actually hit a game-winning home run in game seven of the world series who knows how all that stuff would have played out but I look back on it fondly other than it's like damn it's already been six years since we had that night time's kind of flown by here recently
1: yeah and and yeah, easily, easily. And I don't think there's a whole lot of competition, but easily the best advancement from first base to second base on an out yeah. in the history of the franchise. And that's a long history uh in this franchise. And again, I don't know what the uh I don't know what the sample size is on that, but I would easily call it the most important advancement from first base to second base in the history of the franchise.
2: And I always think it's funny that and, and you know I love it, that Miguel Montero has maybe two of the biggest hits, maybe two of the top five, I don't know, biggest hits in Cubs history, and certainly since 1945, you know, um, of the game-winning homer against the Dodgers in game one in the NLCS. And then what turned out to be the game-winning hit in game Mm -hmm. seven, um, you know, with the Guardians or Indians at the time getting a run in the bottom of the ninth, that turned out to be the game-winning hit. So that was an important hit that Miguel Montero had not just, you know, to get the insurance run. So, you know, th- I think those are his only two hits in the playoffs and he had a terrible season. But Miguel Montero should always be a legend in Cubs yeah. fans' hearts for those moments.
1: Jeremy, I think about that all the time. Miguel Montero had exactly two hits and 10 at-bats in that postseason. Mm-hmm. And, of course, those two hits were the Game 1 Grand Slam in the National League Championship Series, and, as you said, what proved to be the game-winning RBI in Game 7 of the World Series. He had exactly two hits, and they were possibly two of the biggest hits, again, in the history of the franchise. Yeah. And Montero, great personality that he is. He went on the record on Twitter. When they won, he said, does anybody remember what my batting average was this season? No, me either.
0: Yeah, well, I'd also he, uh, like to I'd point out what Montero, he was hurt during the postseason as well. I think some people maybe lose sight of that. The big story with the playoffs that year was Schwarber coming back from the injury and then getting base hits and things in the World Series, but Montero was not healthy when that was going down, and yet he still managed, to your point, Jeremy, hit two of the most important hits in franchise history, and even though he wasn't a great player, a likable Cub,
2: I think that's safe to say, and we'll be celebrating him for years to come at Wrigley Field. And he's the guy, you know, who started on the Twitter when he got the whole hashtag, we are good and everything. He was kind of, you know, it didn't end well in the clubhouse with him, although he was kind of right with his situation where he called out Jake Arrieta for not allowing, uh you know, watching runners on base and stealing. But, you know, he provided a lot. I feel like to the team, he provided a little bit of an edge with his personality and his first season he hit, he hit pretty well as a catcher. And he also provided something that I, as I mentioned last week that I think the Cubs were lacking since him and Ross had been gone, he was a good pitch framer. And so I think he was kind of, you know, he kind of got reverted to the bench in that playoffs. You mentioned he was hurt. Obviously Wilson kind of took over with a uh, more of an offensive minded catcher and, you know, Wilson came up huge in game seven of and, and in the playoffs as well. So, um, but I, I think we should give, we, we need to give Miguel Montero love and, yep. and just to add on to Wilson's like every pretty much every Cub in that game seven had like a huge moment. Like Baez had a huge hit, you know, everybody had like a huge hit in that game. So it's fun to look back on that team. And it's like, everybody really came through and that was awesome.
0: Well, Jeremy, a few minutes ago, you said you watched game seven. And I don't know if you're talking about just individual clips or an inning or two at a time. I mean, have you actually gone back here six years later or in the last six years and watched any of those full games from the playoffs to the post season. And Randall I'll be curious where you're at with that too.
2: Well, I, I mean, I feel like in 2020, it was playing when baseball got shut down, it was playing all the time. And I, I so I've watched, I definitely have watched a bunch of those of um, uh, those games throughout that time period. And I've, I've watched, you know, I, I I've caught up and rewatched, you know, that the 10th inning, the ninth inning, or watching some of the situations like, when, um you know, I sometimes I'll rewatch because it's just so crazy to me what happened with Lester, you know, when he came in and he threw that 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 breaking ball in the dirt that bounced up off of Ross's match two
1: run wild. Pitch. Uh,
2: exactly. Like, think about the incredible bad luck that John Lester had in that game. Like, yeah. I was not one of these guys that was like pissed off that they brought Lester in for uh Hendricks, even though Hendricks, because I thought, you know, third time or through whatever. Had, and Lester was great. And he just had some incredible bad luck. I think that move would have paid off. Like there was a swinging bunt that, you know, I think it was, was a Kipnis or whoever got the first bit? It was just a lot of weak contact, a lot of just craziness that happened when he was in the game, but that kept Cleveland in the game. But yeah, I've, wa- I've rewatched some of those games uh, since then. And, you know, it, it was just such a special night that it's always like it kind of brings back some of those memories and some of those feelings that like, you know, yeah. And it, it, I, I love it. So, yeah, I can I can watch Game 7 as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I think there's no shortage of emotions and memories that are kind of hard coded into watching it. I don't know if I've watched the complete Game 7 since it was live. As Jeremy said, there was a time in the not so distant past where M- Marquee had nothing to show. Um, And and except for what everyone wanted to see, which of course was Cubs playoff games. I've definitely watched the ninth inning. I've definitely watched the 10th inning. I've watched the key moments. I don't think I've gone through and I've watched the complete game seven. Um, Yeah, just because... it would be like, to me, and it, I guess that's what it is, it's like watching a movie that you've seen 100 times before. You, you don't need to see the beginning. You don't need to see the middle. You know where the play goes. You want to skip to the end, and you want to skip to the really, really great scenes. You know, we've all watched Return of the Jedi plenty of times. Sometimes you just want to skip to the end, and you want to see them all celebrating on the forest moon of Endor.
0: But I, You're a is conclusion so guy.
1: Too. I'm a conclusion yeah, guy. I am. I'm a closure guy, and I'm a conclusion guy. I, don't, I, I make no bones about that. That is correct.
2: And the beginning is so good, too, though, man. You got a leadoff homer from Dexter Fowler and the Cubs go up. What they were up like five to one or so. Like, there's some good moments at the start of this ball game. And it, it should be noted
1: that the batter after which Joe Madden pulled Kyle Hendricks, that ball was a strike. It was a 3-2 pitch to Carlos oh, Santana. God. That ball was a strike. It was called a ball. That's when Madden took out Hendricks. He would have had five clean innings otherwise. Now, yes, I'm still harping on this six years later. I'll let it go at some point, but not yet. And you you mentioned everybody had their moment. There's only so many people who can say they homeward in game seven of a World Series. Javier Baez is on that list and is practically forgotten because of everything else that happened in yeah. that game. There, there's just so much in those 10 innings and we, we fixate on three or four of those, but there's so many things that happened in that game. And every time you see them again, you're like, Oh, that's right. This happened. Oh, that's right. That happened. It's, it's a, it's a, a wild ride. It's a roller coaster from start to finish.
2: And we just need to make it clear that, you know, we're reflecting on one of the greatest moments in our sports fandom lives, greatest nights for all of us and for the Cubs and Randall is still harping on a missed call yes in the sixth inning, I believe the sixth inning of, a, of a, or fifth, whatever, fifth, mid, fifth inning. Fifth inning, inning A middle of a 3-2 count, you know, the Cubs won the road, and Randall's just mad that he's got to make sure to get in a shot at the umpires. No, I will that say, I
1: will say that I think if Hendricks pitches five complete with competent umpiring, I think that game goes a little differently because I think part of... Part of the, uh, the the roller coaster was bringing in a reliever in a so-called dirty inning like that, which Joe Madden is on record as saying he didn't really want to do. I think that game goes a little bit differently if that pitch is called correctly. Now, obviously, it's an exceedingly moot point at this point. That doesn't stop me from harping on it. You know, it all's well that ends well. But, you know, it's kind of those fun. How would this have gone if that had gone a certain way type things?
2: Maybe bad more. Maybe bad things would have happened, Randall. Yeah. Well, the, you maybe know, I missed call put in the events that all occurred and the Cubs won the World Series. Maybe the Guardians, the Indians have a great comeback if, if Kendricks gets that out. Yeah, I don't we'll like never the sound not. of that. I prefer,
1: no. prefer not to think about it.
0: I, I got a few things to add on this front. Okay. Um, first of all, I just wish our entire audience could have heard Randall J. Sanders during Game 7 of the World Series because I was there. And people who listen to this show, and I've gotten feedback from folks over the last two years, they've said, oh, Randall is so articulate and well-spoken, and he's got all these interesting things to say. Oh, he had interesting things to say during Game 7 of that World Series. It scarred my mom, I think, forever, because she sort of looked at Randall as this sweet young man. Oh, boy, when Rajay Davis hit that home run, the sounds that came out of Randall uh, were reverberated To the North shore there, a memorable night for us.
1: You know, you're, you're exaggerating Ronan. I know exactly what I did when Rajay Davis hit that home run. I put my hands on either side of my head. I tipped over and I ended up horizontal on the couch briefly. And then I just kind of started asking how, why I'm reasonably certain because, you know, my, my spirit had left my body briefly at that point, but I'm reasonably certain I did not make any noises that would be classified as inhuman. Or, or guttural. I definitely asked how and why repeatedly for about a minute there. I, I don't think I did anything that would have frightened any neighborhood dogs.
0: There were some uh, four-letter words and four-letter words that became seven-letter words with a whole bunch of exclamation points repeatedly as that game was going down. And uh, but, but you know it, it was all part of the ride, right? And that's what made the win after the rain delay and everything so uh, just relieving and just one of those things that it will never be topped you're right jeremy that will never be topped in my life i hope to see the bears win a super bowl that'd be pretty cool uh indiana basketball i want to see a national championship football eh, just keep going to bowl games maybe you'll win one one of these years right the cubs i do believe are going to win more world series in my lifetime i'm confident of that but it's never going to be like 2016 and all of it is why it worked out the way that it did and it was so special
2: Yeah, and it's just crazy how it actually ended, like that game seven, the fact that the Cubs came back 3-1 into that game seven, just an absolutely, like, it just built like this fairy tale kind of ride into winning it, the rain delay, like all the things, but I I just, as someone who wasn't there with Randall, uh, but has seen Randall at many a sporting event when things have gone wrong, not in the pressure situation of a game seven World Series. I have to I have to believe there were some words and some noises yeah. that came out of there in that basement. And I have to believe that maybe, Randall, maybe you blacked out a little bit. So you didn't quite remember. Well, I, I
1: completely cop to possibly blacking out. Like there might be, you know, minute minutes there where I can't account for uh, being being physically present or uh, I guess astrally present. Like I'm definitely not discounting that. I am saying that the the description of the sounds and words that I was uttering might be a little bit exaggerated. But you would never do that, Ronan. You're, you're not an exaggerator.
0: I, I uh I just saw my mom, you scarred her. I mean this little Irish woman, you scarred her, and I remember her just saying, it's a baseball game, and she understands, right? But it's a baseball game, she kept saying. Uh the reason the why I asked if you guys have watched it is I think that I am in a little bit of a minority among Cubs fans in that I've really avoided a lot of World Series stuff. Now I'm not sitting here saying I've not seen the final play of the game, right? The ground ball to Chris Bryant. I've seen that a million times Dexter's home run. There are certainly moments in the game. I've seen a clip or two from, but I am not ready yet to go back and watch that stuff. I uh, didn't read any of the books about the world series run. I didn't watch any of the produced documentaries or any of those videos. They were put together recapping it. And I think part of it is it's, it is is still too fresh. I'm watching Chris Bryant. I'm sorry, I'm watching Kyle Schwarber in the World Series tonight for a National League team. So the guys that were on that Cubs team, one, a good chunk of them are still playing. There's very few remaining on the Cubs roster, but I'm not ready to feel nostalgic about it yet. I'll get to that point, maybe when some of these more players are gone and maybe after the Cubs win another one, but I've not sat down and watched a full game or a full playoff game, i have avoided the other media I'll get to it at some point, but I would just think among Cubs fans or Cubs fans that would bother listening to a podcast. There's probably not many of us like me who've just sort of put it behind us with regards to that.
2: I actually, for the most part, I'm actually with you on a lot of those things you mentioned. I have watched games and I have watched moments in the playoffs. I have not watched any Cubs. Pre- I've never watched the, the Cubs documentary, or whatever that came out, the championship video. I've never read any book. I've never done I've never done any of those things. And I don't know. I've just always kind of like, for some reason that's over there, I've always had like kind of this barrier to that, to watching it, which is weird. Cause when I was growing up being a child in the nineties, like the Bulls championship videos yes. were my favorite thing to ever watch. I like watch them when I yeah. come home from school, wore those VHS out, S out a million times, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something to with it's all too fresh or something like it kind of is like a completion of the moment, I guess. Like if you watch a documentary of it, like it's like, "Oh, it's over." So, I don't know. Maybe I've never watched those, but I have watched like it it, it feels weird too to rewatch it, but I have watched like innings and and game and moments of the games and stuff like that, especially when they've been on marquee or yeah. they've been on ESPN or whatever. Like I said during 2020, they're playing a lot of old games. I have watched those, but, and I, and, but I, the other stuff I am with you, like I've never watched any produced kind of thing for that world series championship run.
1: So I'm in the minority. I have watched the world series documentary on many occasions. I was, I was there when the Cubs premiered it. They held a premiere event at one of the theaters in the city, not too long after the world series, I was at that event. So I, I guess that makes me one of the first people to have seen it. Oh. And Yeah. You know, it's some of it you can tell they kind of produced on the fly and they probably had like a Cleveland version ready to go. But there's some decent interviews in there. One thing that has never left me is Dexter Fowler says he's rewatched that final throw from Bryant a lot of times. And he says that every time he sees it, he's worried that the throw is going to sail over Rizzo's head. And, you know, now I can't unsee that. I can't (laughs) see that final throw and worry just a little bit right along with Dex. Yeah. Uh, that that throw is going to sail so Dexter Fowler makes a very salient point and I- I'm never going to be able to completely unsee that oh.
0: no and the foot kind of slips out a little bit obviously the rain had been falling there yet it just finds Rizzo's glove and then the image you know of Rizzo putting the ball in his back pocket as they get ready to party there on the mound that stuff is just so fun but I'm not there yet, I don't know. I, I, I will get to that point. Uh, maybe it will take another Cub goods, uh, a really good Cubs team or a team that's competing for a World Series. Maybe it will take more of these guys retiring. Maybe you just need a little bit of time there, but I have not had much interest in that yet. I have forward thinking here. I want the next one. There'll be plenty of time in my life to go back and really dwell on 16, but I don't begrudge any Cubs fan, given the emotions that went into that, the significance of the night, I totally get the fans that have watched Game Seven a hundred times and rewatched full innings or whatever the case may be. I'm just not there right now. And I'm I'm focused on the twenty twenty three Chicago Cubs right now.
1: Now we've all, you know, we we all probably went out that night or that next day and got all manner of things. I know I stalked the 7-Eleven across the street from my then apartment every hour of that next morning, waiting for the tribunes to be delivered. (laughs) Um, What for the two of you, what's kind of your best, or maybe even your top two, top three, whatever you got, what's kind of the best purchase you made in the aftermath of that 2016 World Series? Any kind of World Series merchandise, anything Cubs related, what's the best thing you bought? right after or in the time after that title
2: well i i i i don't i guess they're not necessarily purchases but um i do have the tribune and i have multiple i have the sports section i have the front page of the tribune i have them framed in my apartment i have the the cover of the uh sports illustrated um that came out i have that framed in my apartment I have, you know, so like, I, and those are all things I had subscriptions to, or my parents had purchased to, they gave it to me. So like, I mean, I guess they're technically purchases, but nothing like I went out and bought. Um, Just, I have all those. I have, I don't know, I I obviously, you know, championship gear that I, you know, I still wear like Cubs World Series hat. I still wear some Cubs World Series shirts and stuff like that. Um, In terms of just like, I like, cause I said like with, what with, well, kind of what Ronan was saying, like I never went out and bought like a book. I never went out and bought something that was kind of specific to those teams but i do have like like i said i have framed um sports illustrated to cover and i've framed chicago tribune covers that i look at all the time it's actually kind of funny because i look at you know not, we all remember that november 2nd and it's coming up again this year it was obviously right before the election so i i kind of always smirk in my apartment because i have the cover of the chicago tribune with the with you know the picture of them all celebrating everything. And below it, you got all this like a 2016 election news. <laughs> and I'm always about like Mark Kirk and Tammy Duckworth debate and stuff like that. And it was like, this is forever going to be imprinted in my apartment basically of the 2016 election. So, but I, I have those and I look at them daily. I'm
0: not a big merchandise guy and I'm not a big uh, like autograph collector or anything like that either that I don't know that I can answer the question of big purchases other than when I made the decision, that was the summer, my first summer living outside of Chicago when I moved full-time to Denver. I'd lived outside of Chicago previous to that, but the year I move away is the year the Cubs win the World Series, of course. And I came home for the three games at Wrigley Field and then the two in Cleveland. I didn't go to the games. I would just wanted to be in Chicago. I wanted to be around friends and family. So the purchase of getting that flight, taking the PTO, and staying through the parade was 100% worth it. What I did do though, the night of the World Series that I will always remember, and I it was a great call. We were there, Randall, at my parents' house through the early hours of the night. They win game seven, hopped on a train after. You did not come along for this, but when I into did the drive city, you to the train, though. Drove me to the train, went down to Wrigley Field, got to the ballpark sometime between two and three, saw on the marquee World Series champions had a few minutes there outside of Wrigley. And what I ended up doing was staying up all night, staying out all night and going to the lakefront for sunrise. And I wanted to be on the shores of Lake Michigan, right in front of the city of Chicago, when the sun rose with the Chicago Cubs as the World Series champions. And yeah, it was an overcast day. It wasn't that typical sunrise you get over the lake, but I was there watching the sun come up on the city of champions the chicago cubs and that's a memory that i thought was pretty cool. There was nobody else out on the beach. We were out there, had a really nice time and that's something i've got forever. That is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, they, they didn't cost you any money either. No. I have, yeah, you know, i have two purchases, two purchases i made in the aftermath of the world series title. One of them, i am definitely not unique in, i am not special in this. I did of course get the front page of the tribune double matted and framed. Uh, Jeremy said, you know, look at it all the time. I do because it's hanging right over my television. Uh, it's got the blue mat. It's got a little bit of red mat. Nice black frame. It was not cheap, but 100% worth it. The one big World Series-related purchase I did make was I said a very long time ago that if and when the Cubs ever win the World Series, I would be buying a jersey. And it would be the World Series winning jersey, whatever jersey the Cubs were wearing that night. It would have the, the, the proper patches on it. And it would be of the World Series MVP. And Sure enough, it came, it happened, it went, and I was soon after that the proud owner of a blue Cubs alternate Ben Zobris number 18 jersey with the World Series and World Series champion patch on the left shoulder, and that's that's a real nice jersey to have in the closet, a real nice jersey, and I remember thinking, oh, Lester, maybe Lester will be the World Series MVP. I don't know how keen I was on a Zobrist jersey. And then he's named the MVP. And I'm like, maybe I'll get somebody else. You know, the only person I promised is me. And then the day I was placing that order, I read a story about how Ben Zobrist is uh, out in front of his house that he was renting in Wrigleyville with his then wife, his ex-wife. The less said about that, the better. And he was just kind of handing out candy to kids. He was signing autographs. He was taking pictures with people. And I said... You know, all right, that's a, fair enough. That's a sign—a Ben Zobrist jersey. It is. That's—I got a lot of jerseys in that closet of mine. Uh, that's
0: easily in my top three. The Candy Man puts you over the top to get a Zobrist. I like that. It, yep, it does. It does. It's important to note, though, and that's cool, Randall. And I—that's I, a—that's a top of the line jersey purchase. I'm not a big jersey guy. I don't get a lot of them unless it's a Kosuke Fukudome. But I think that's a clutch Cubs jersey to go out and procure but it also is important to note here for a long time you also promised that the cubs won the world series you would be tattooing the box score on your body no no picture. ronan you lie you lie in front of god Hear zeus me. buddha and all of our I, listeners there were you know, some
2: promises you got as ronan no, was saying you got winning no, pitcher, you got losing no, pitcher, you got the guy who made the save you got a nice no real no no that was never promised it was it might have been mentioned. It, it might was have been mentioned. Mentioned in passing. It was definitely
1: passing. Yes. I will grant you that it was mentioned. It was never promised. You sit here and you lie in front of our That's, listeners. No, I know, and no, God a great And purchase. Buddha and Adonai and Jesus and, and the, the rest of our listeners moment
2: of your life forever. You know, it was never promised. And I will grant that it was, body.
1: I will grant that it was brought up in passing briefly. It was never promised. Do not, do not lie to our listeners. O'Shea.
0: I don't think it's a lie. I think that, that uh, it came up many, many times and then it happened. The Cubs win it. And we were with, Jeremy. You got to back me up here a little bit I'm here. I'm backing you up. And that this was brought up for years, many, many times. Cause I've always asked Randall, Randall, you have a tattoo or you getting a tattoo. What's the tattoo going to be? And the response was box score if the Cubs win a World Series. It happened. We still don't have a tattoo. Still don't True have that, it. Because
1: it was never promised.
0: I, and well, it was a here's a great box score. Yeah. But uh, six years, guys, it has flown by here. Uh, Close call in 2017, some playoff teams since then. But the hype is towards maybe the next Cubs World Series team, and hopefully one that we'll see here in the next couple of years. Uh, Some thoughts, though, on the 2022 Cubs. We've got some awards. Ian Happ, National League Gold Glove winner in left field. He joined some interesting company in Chicago Cubs history. Cubs outfielders to win a gold glove. Bobby Dernier, the Hawk Andre Dawson, Jason Hayward and now Ian
2: Happ. What a year for the Cubs left fielder! A great year. And as I said last week, I was going to eat some crow about this because I said that Ian Happ, I didn't see it. And I had Tyler O'Neill and he didn't even get nominated. And I, uh, but Ian Happ had a great year. He had a great year improvement pretty much across the board offensively from hitting from the right side. You know, he improved. Uh, in the field. He had a great year. You can't take it away from him. And so it was really cool to see somebody who put in the work, put in the effort, put in all the, the things to make himself a better player, get rewarded for that. And I, you know, I hope he gets rewarded financially for that as well at some point. So uh, just a great all-around year for Ian Hap And I bow to you, Ronan, who told us in <laughs> August that this was going to happen. Well, I'm,
1: I'm not bowing to you, but good for Ian Hap. It is something we discussed throughout the latter part of the season. And he and Ian Hatt benefited from two things about playing left field. First of all, the Cubs are no longer, I think, miscasting him as that everyday center fielder. Uh, They're putting him in a corner and playing left field for the entire season, instead of shifting around out three outfield positions that allows him to focus, you know, we treat kind of the corner outfield positions as being interchangeable sometimes, but they, they have their differences. The ball fades and it cuts differently depending on which of the fields you're playing you know you're dealing with a lot more uh balls hit by right-handed batters when you're playing left field and I think you know it gave him that really good and really necessary opportunity to really stand in left field for the entire season and to to really make those reads and that's what made him the award-winning outfielder that he is so I think he's going to benefit from that a lot going forward as long as the Cubs don't start miscasting him again. It doesn't seem that they will. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that can happen for a guy who plays multiple positions. You pick one, you excel at it, and Ian Happ is the beneficiary of that.
0: So added to the uh, awards this year for Ian Happ, he gets the all-star nod earlier in the summer, now the gold glove. and And again, this was a player that we thought in July, at a very high probability of not coming back to the team. They've got one more year of control with him. He's potentially a candidate for an extension this offseason, but there was no guarantee he was finishing the year with the Cubs, and maybe in a different market he gets traded in July. Cubs benefit from this, and I think he's played himself into that starting left fielder role, certainly for next year, something that we didn't really know about, these last couple years, been waiting for this sort of breakthrough moment from Ian Happ. It finally happens, and he seals it with uh, the Gold Glove award in left field. Another Cub up for an award. We'll find out whether or not he wins it. It will be tomorrow, and that's Wilson Contreras, the impending free agent. He is the Cubs' sole nominee for Silver Slugger, and it comes as a backstop. So Willie up for some love here Thursday night. Well, points for
1: calling him Contreras, as all of the finest broadcasters do. You know, some of some people say Contreras, but we all know it's Contreras. And, you know, we talk at length about how this season could well be and probably is Wilson's last hurrah as a cub. It would be good for him to get a little, a little offensive hardware on his way out. Cause again, we're gonna miss Wilson when he's gone. I think after a potentially a full season of watching uh watching Jan Gomes start behind the plate every day. I think we're going to miss Wilson a lot and I, I hope he wins it because he deserves it. He's been such an integral part of the success this Cubs this team has had in the last six, seven years. Uh, so I, I hope he wins it. I really do.
2: It'd be nice for Wilson to get some uh, individual recognition. Obviously he's made a few all-star games, but yeah, he came off. He was so hot to start the year, pretty much the first few months. And then he kind of cooled off towards the end. He got hurt. You we all know he, uh, turned his ankle at the field of dreams game in Iowa. And then he, he missed a lot of time in the second half of the season, um, which the Cubs held on to him. And, uh, and it paid, I guess it pays off for the Cubs. You know, they'll get uh, more, more than likely get a uh, compensation pick. If when he signs at somewhere else, this off season, hopefully we bring him back, but you're more than likely not. But I just love that Wilson is going to get some sort of recognition, even if he doesn't actually win the award, which I think he should. Mm-hmm. Um, He's the nominee, and and he did so much as a cub uh, for the last six six years. We talked about you know, in being in the World Series game seven, having that huge hit um, as a rookie. You know, coming up, being that guy uh, taking over the catching duties in the playoffs for the most part. And so I I just you know we all love Wilson Contreras. We're all gonna miss him when as Randall said when he's gone. So it's just it's just cool to see him get that individual recognition, and I'm happy about it. I I hope he wins.
0: One other note here with the big league team uh, change on the coaching staff here out at hitting coach is Greg Brown. Apparently he's been offered a different position in the organization. We'll see whether or not he does that or explores something else. Dustin Kelly getting the promotion, the minor league hidden coordinator for the last two years. The Cubs have been churning through these assistant coaches, especially hitting coaches. Uh, Jeremy, why should Cubs fans be excited that Dustin Kelly is now the guy in control of the hitters?
2: Well, answering your question about Dustin Kelly, I I think for, I guess, why the Cubs did it and why, you know, you you should be excited about it. It's the fact that Dustin Kelly is kind of a guy who, you know, working his way up, but I, I guess he's, he, More cohesive with what the organization wants. And, and it's because with the pitching side, we've kind of seen these kind of advanced developments and all these things, Craig Bresler from top to bottom working, and it just hasn't really been there on the offensive side. And I, I, to me, honestly, I'm kind of a little bit, not that, you know, the Cubs obviously know, and they're going to make the right move or they're going to make what they think is the right move. And so I'm a little disappointed that Greg Brown, a guy we talked up a lot last year, a guy who was a former college coach, like instructor, kind of has kind of, it didn't really quite work out. Like that's something that disappointed me that we've seen from the last few years. A bunch of, we've gone, the Cubs have gone through, as you mentioned, a lot of hitting coaches. And so I was a little disappointed when this news came out that I'm like, it's just kind of like another kind of thing that we're going through. but the positive note and focusing on it is Dustin Kelly's a guy who's been in the organization a couple of years came from the Dodgers um him and Justin Stone who's pretty much in charge of the offensive um as Craig Breslow is in charge of the pitching infrastructure uh, the you know they're going to work together get more like from the major league to all the way down to the complex league everybody's on the same page right and i think that's the goal of this and i think Dustin Kelly being in the system for a couple of years kind of fits better in that situation so hopefully it does work out and hopefully we see you know all these improvements up and down the organization so from that sense, that's that's what i would be excited about as a cubs fan getting dustin kelly up there as a guy and they did not replace johnny washington who's was the assistant hitting coach so they are bringing him back and it seems like most of the rest of the staff is going to come back as well yeah. so you do get that continuity
1: yeah Ian, this is the same front office and largely the same brain trust that hired greg brown a year ago i'm a little curious what they saw a year ago that they don't see now. And Jeremy, you mentioned it. Here are the Cubs hitting coaches since 2015. John Melee, 2015 to 17. Chili Davis in 18. Anthony Iaposi, 2019 to 2021. Greg Brown and now Dustin Kelly. That's five hitting coaches since the 2015 season. Uh, you know, I, I think the hitting coach is kind of a front man. He gets a little too much blame when the team can't hit, and he's get he gets no credit. When the team does hit, but you would like to see a little bit of continuity at at, at some point. And like you said, hopefully Dustin Kelly coming from within the organization it more matches what the Cubs want to do philosophically as an organization. Hopefully, we're not having the same conversation uh, a year from now, because I think that would be pretty damning if we go through you know a third hitting coach in as many seasons.
0: Well, it is the third hitting coach under David Ross, the eighth in 12 years, so a revolving door there. Uh, You know, a lot of problems with the Cubs offensively this year also came from the fact there were a lot of bad players that got a ton of at-bats. Simmons got a lot of at-bats. Reyes got a lot of at-bats. Go on, Frank Schwindel got a lot of at-bats. Even Patrick Wisdom, oh yeah, he hit some home runs. Not a particularly great hitter. A lot of these guys had a lot of at-bats. Exactly. I mean, there were plenty of guys. So when you look at the hitting coach, you say, oh, the Cubs, you know, uh, ranked in this category and hits and this category of home runs. I don't know. I don't really care so much about that. I saw some really good progress. Uh, Ian Happ, for example, against right-handed pitching. So do, does he get credit for that? Or is that something separate that the team worked out? I don't yeah. know. I just know that there's a lot of people that track the Cubs minor leaguers that follow the farm system that are saying Dustin Kelly is legit this is a good promotion from within this is a smart hire and I'm willing to bite that for now and we'll see what type of players they have in that lineup
1: yeah one of the things that makes for a good hitting coach is good hitters
0: yeah
2: uh,
1: so hopefully the Cubs can go out and add a few more of those and that will make the hitting coach look a whole lot better by proxy
2: yeah I I yeah I I think that Dustin Kelly obviously is somebody that pressed them to move him up and I think that. Um, like, like nothing I said, I, I want is is against Dustin Kelly at all. Um, and I think that it's probably you know a good I just think that they probably wanted just more cohesiveness from top to bottom. I think that's sure. really what it is. And I, I don't know how why Greg Brown didn't quite fit in that. I, I like I don't know the the exact details of that, but I do think like that's pretty much what it is. I think that's mostly what it is. Like the Cubs want that, you know, everybody basically in the organization is working, not quite, you know, cause they're all going to be individualized, but from the same concepts and the same ideas and everything and no kind of differences. Like, you know, when you're a double A, you're being taught this and you get to the majors and they want you to do something different is obviously would be an issue. And so hopefully, you know, you bring Dustin Kelly up who has, as you say, Ronan, has gotten high marks across the board that you, you find that kind of that mixture, that, the organization really likes, like they have done on the pitching side. It seems like mm-hmm. it's so funny to think about how five years ago, the Cubs couldn't develop pitching, but they could develop hitting. And now it's kind of flipped and they've, they've their best pro. I mean, they still have some good hitting prospects, but right now it's like everybody's coming up throwing 95, 97. They have all these guys that can contribute right away. They don't really quite, they have some elite high-end upside potential guys, but nobody that can really kind of contribute right away for the Cubs next year. Um That you're confident in going into 2023 like oh this guy could be a contributor in 2023 and so unfortunately some of those guys that we would be confident in have gotten hurt and so that that's probably an issue there itself so we'll see how it all plays out you figure out another factor in that
0: too the exit interviews the players go through at the end of the season you can be a good fit you can be a competent coach but there can sometimes be interpersonal or communication or even touching teaching techniques that just aren't landing with certain players that gets exposed in the exit interviews at the end of the season, and then you see these changes take place it's so seldom. That a major league team does not see some type of turnover in their coaching staff, especially now with these bloated coaching staffs right there's more coaches. On major league rosters today than any point in our life they've got all of these specialists assistant hitting coaches and assistant pitching coaches, so you have a lot of turnover, and this is part of it, but. It'll be fun to watch this. It'll be fun to see how the offensive players respond to him. And uh, I don't think too many Cubs fans are going to be pissed off about this anytime soon. We'll see how it plays out.
1: Don't forget the catching coordinator and the quality control coach. Important jobs. uh,
0: that's what you need, Randall, a quality control coach. Yeah, uh,
1: maybe, maybe. Well, I'm not against that. I'll, I'll start, I'll put out an application. I'll put out a, a job listing and see what kind Randall, of applications we, we don't want we you
2: get. to go Joe Man on us. We think you need as much analytics <laughs> and coaching and guys in the clubhouse as possible coming from the top.
1: I got plenty of analytics. I got whole cards in my pocket full of analytics, like Joe Madden said when he was hired.
0: And I will ensure, Randall, uh, whether or not you want it, advice will be pumped to you consistently. Oh, no. The- about the, all facets of life.
1: The quality control coach's job will be blocking that advice. That's going to be a, a part of the quality is uh, addition by subtraction there.
0: Cubs need some starting pitching. This is something that we've talked about. It's going to be a big topic of conversation all offseason. And an interesting name in the mix here is a Japanese pitcher, a 30-year-old Kodai Senga. Am I saying that right, Randall? I want to make sure. I believe I'm...
1: it. I think it's Kodai, Kodai. Senga. But all all right. it's possible, Kodai I'm wrong Senga. too.
0: We'll, we'll get into uh, that. He is a free agent officially, and he's coming over to the major leagues here. Pretty interesting mix, fastball, splitter, cutter, slider, a little bit older, coming over as a 30-year-old. Randall, priority for the Cubs here, yes or no, and making a serious bid for Senga? I think so.
1: I think it's the kind of, I think this kind of, you know, top three in your rotation. He's not, probably not an ace, and there's always a whole lot of uncertainty with players at any position coming over from overseas. But I think this is the kind of pitching you need, the guy who is already solid and could potentially tick up another degree in the right infrastructure. And we have this fantastic scouting report here from Jim Allen, whom you should follow if you don't already. He is based in Tokyo. He covers uh, NPB, Nippon Professional Baseball. Uh, Find him on Twitter at JballAllen. And he writes this fantastic uh, scouting report of Kodai Senga. One paragraph here I do love. For years, Hawks ace Kodai Senga has asked his team to post him, and has—and I'm quoting here—been politely told to mind his own business because the Hawks, as an organization, do not recognize the posting the posting system. And uh, that that struck me as funny. But uh, again, he writes this fantastic scouting report of uh Senga going back two seasons 2021-2022 Ronan like you said he's uh, a four-pitch guy he throws a fastball he throws a forkball slash a split finger whatever you want to call it a cutter and a slider and great part of the scouting report is Jim kind of breaks this down into uh the the 2080 scale which we all love reading it's a real concise way if a little um if maybe a little general but uh, on the 2080 scale the fastball is a 50. The splitter, the fork ball, whatever you want to call it, is a 70. And then the cutter and the slider are both 60. And that's a real solid mix. I think the issues uh, with Senga are the command a little bit. Great stat here. He ranked 111th out of 187 in called strikes. So a little bit of command issue with the fastball, but he throws it hard. And so batters do still have to keep it in their back pocket. Uh, as to whether they're going to swing at it or not. So ultimately, I think this is a guy who could do really good things for you with the right infrastructure. It's a player I'd like to see the Cubs go after. We've talked about it before. You already have Seo Suzuki in the fold who is willing to extol the virtues of the Cubs organization in Chicago. It's a player I think they should be pursuing. And supposedly, it's a player they will be pursuing. So I think that could be a real solid addition to the pitching staff where you need frontline starting pitching for 2023.
2: I'm not, yeah, I'm not opposed to, you know, going after a guy like Senga. But for me, I just, what I think of what the Cubs really need for next year is they really need a top of the rotation guy. And I'm not yeah. sure that this is that guy.
1: And I uh, don't think you're wrong necessarily.
2: I, I think they need a a guy that, you know, and I, I don't know where he would fit because the Cubs have a lot of depth. I, in my opinion, I feel like that could be in the rotation. And, and obviously adding more, you know, is better, but um, like, I just think they, I think they need to prioritize getting somebody that's going to fit in at the top because they don't have that guy like Marcus Stroman, solid pitcher. Hopefully Kyle Hendricks will be a solid pitcher. Um, they have some other guys, you know, that, that have shown some stuff. Justin Steele, maybe Keegan Thompson, maybe he goes in the bullpen. Hayden Wesneski, you know, other things. There's a lot of guys that can compete for three, four, through three through five. I feel like in the Cubs system. Um, so what I want is a guy who's going to come in and be a one or a two, and I don't know if this guy this guy is a one or a two, even looking at it like his numbers kind of like he's not really striking out a ton of guys in right his last year in um, in Japan, which there's not the same velocity in Japan. like they're not seeing the same, they do see a lot more um, breaking balls. Um, so I don't know. like I, I feel like I, like if they want to add a solid pitcher, I'm all for that. And I'm all for that. But I just want to see them prioritize someone who's going to kind of come in and kind of be at that level. And I'm not sure this guy is at that level, in my opinion.
1: And Jeremy, I think that's a a very valid point. I think if you sign Senga, he probably slots in as maybe your number three guy. He doesn't necessarily make the top of your rotation better. What he does is he takes your depth guys and he pushes them a little further down the depth chart. So you are another pitcher away from having to maybe give a guy like Javier Assad a a lot of starts in the season or a guy like Adrian Sampson, if you bring him back a lot of starts in the season. And I think that would be his value is that he pushes your depth guys a little further down the depth chart. I think you're 100% correct. I don't think he profiles necessarily as a one or a two, the quote unquote ACE and you're not going to have to pay a posting fee. He is a free agent. So what you're signing him for is what you're signing him for. You don't have to pay a fee to his NPB team, but he's not going to come cheap. He's going to be a multi-year deal. It's probably going to be in the 60 to 70, maybe 80 million range. Um, So it's not going to be cheap. And it's a question of, do you want to pay that use your resources for a number three guy like that? And Ronan, I know you love following Japanese baseball. You are one of two people in this podcast who owns a, an NPB Jersey. Where do you sit on uh Mr. Senga as he looks to come over from NPB?
0: I, I hope the Cubs take a serious look here and they court him and they bring him out. He gets a chance to see Chicago and they see if the dollar amount will make sense here because I trust their judgment. And if they think they can bring this guy in, throw him into that pitch lab and they're going to get a solid three or four, $20 million a year for a couple of years. Yeah. Hundred percent, sign me up for that. But let's not push this to a five-year, hundred-plus million-dollar deal. I don't think that that's necessary here. I agree with you, Jeremy. They need an ace, no question. And I think the ace It may be coming via trade. A guy like Shane Bieber could be a guy the Cubs could throw in as an ace for next year without having to go through free agency. They've got a deep farm now. They can start to move guys with. But I'm I'm intrigued by this guy. I I trust the Cubs pitching infrastructure that if they're serious about him, I think they're going to get a way to make it to work. And I'm going into next season, not to be a pessimist here, but with very low expectations for Kyle Hendricks. Anything the Cubs get from Kyle Hendricks next year, for me, that's a positive. I'd rather the Cubs prepare going into this offseason expecting nothing from him, whether he's injured or he's just not very effective. He's already done anything he needs to do in a Cubs uniform. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's something still there. But my expectation going into next year is we need to step up from Marcus Stroman and anything from Kyle's a bonus. So a guy like
2: Senga. Yeah. Very appealing to me. Yeah. I, th- I think you kind of, when you mentioned, you know, they definitely can make a trade for an ACE and a top of the rotation starter. And you know, in that scenario, yeah, maybe a guy like Senga kind of works. I just don't want, I just feel like the priorities to me needs to be like elite kind of talent because like that's sure. what the Cubs are lacking. Um, and that means offensively too, like they have a bunch of position players holes where they need elite talent and they need elite talent. So, like, I don't want to see anything that kind of takes away from the focus of kind of bringing in that elite talent. So, if the money works and they can figure it out, and then they can also bring in a top of the rotation ace and bring in some elite talent that's going to fit in the field, a shortstop, some fill in some other holes, that's fine. I just see the Cubs have actually having a lot of pitching depth, they have a lot of guys that can fit in the rotation from three through five and a lot more. And so, I just don't see pitching depth as a priority and, and middle of the rotation guys as a priority. Like if it fits and it works, that's perfectly great. Um, But I just want, I want to bring in some elite end talent. So I'm not like, it wouldn't be like a top guy. I, I would be really pushing to get after like, we need to get this guy into our guy. Like if it works and it fits, I would be for that as long as it works into the rest of our plans.
1: And great note about uh, Senga here. Uh, due to the effectiveness of his forkball, the split finger pitch that he throws, apparently the pitch has the nickname of the ghost fork in Japan, and uh, that doesn't necessarily make him any better of a pitcher, but that's, that's a great nickname, the ghost
0: fork. I like it. I like it yeah. a lot. And you know, you're right, Randall, you got a jersey from Japan. I got the Kosuke Chinichi Dragons jersey. And one of the things that I love about it, and I don't wear it too often in the offseason, although periodically. You got to put it on, represent Kosuke when you go out, do your grocery shopping. But every time I wear it out, it gets a reaction. And I wore it to a Cubs-Rockies game back in April here. I wore it to a different, just random Colorado Rockies game later in the summer. It always gets a, ah, Kosuke or Fukudome. That guy was fun. And I like that because you connect with people sometimes when you're wearing something like that. And the Kosuke is a fan favorite. So the Chinichi Dragons too, though, that one makes you feel pretty good because i've gotten some snarky comments from Rockies fans because they see the blue and they assume oh that must be a cubs jersey oh no it's a chinichi dragons jersey and i like to wear that one with
2: pride yeah the japanese you know i you gotta you gotta break that out randall i think a little more often like yes we it, it see- does not
1: it does not fit so i can't really break it out well, if i wear it i'm kind of the one way. breaking out i'm the one breaking out of it um but i will i will take your advice under consideration
2: This is why you need a quality control coach, Randall. Yeah, apparently. You find a way. Life finds a way. Yeah. Uh, So we'll see
0: what the Cubs do with him. And we're very close here as the World Series inches on uh, to see some movements here in the offseason and the Cubs begin to shape that roster for next year. Minor league news on the Cubs. Kind of a mixed bag right now. We'll start with the good news. Matt Mervis competing in the first ever Arizona Fall League home run derby. He's been smashing balls all season. Currently tied for the individual lead in home runs in the arizona fall league so good for matt mervis uh some bad news though injuries beginning to affect the cubs right now brennan davis the former number one prospect done in the afl he's got that randall injury general soreness general soreness
1: general soreness Soreness reporting for duty
0: yeah uh, i know you felt that one from time to time apparently it pertains to the back he's had back issues this year so he's sitting it out but the real bad one Alexander Canario. We have seen that footage. I wish I had not seen the footage. The ankle and the shoulder seriously injured right now. An injury that could take somewhere between four and six months to fully heal. So we're not just talking about, okay, his year is done. We're talking about an impact into next season. It's brutal, guys. And if you haven't seen it, I wouldn't advise watching it. I, I reacted. like I, I curled up watching what happened to his ankle there. It's just horrible to see this happen to a guy who's had a great year.
1: And this is rough on so many levels. Again, we're talking four to six months before he's healed enough, probably to get back to baseball activities, the the running and everything. So at this point, if he's back by the minor league all-star break of 2023 That's probably a speedy recovery. He also dislocated his shoulder when he tripped over the base. He dislocated his shoulder. That's going to need surgery, too. And it's rough on so many levels because not only did Canario have a great minor league 2022, not only was he having a pretty decent uh, season down in the Dominican Winter League, but this was a guy who had a chance to factor in in 2023 whether that is playing for the major league cubs and he had been playing center field for his dominican winter league team and that's a position where the cubs have need Um, but even if he wasn't going to play for the major league cubs it's possible he might have been one of those high level prospects included in a trade for an ace pitcher and now neither of those things is going to happen and it's just terrible to see for a young player like that who is on the cusp of impacting the major league organization and all you can do is hope that he heals up and gets himself back to form sooner versus later
2: it, it's obviously a, a, a terrible news for him and, and also for the Cubs as well as Randall mentions like he could have been a guy factoring in a trade uh, it could have been an important piece of this Cubs off season, and it's just horrible disappointing The the dislocated shoulder part of it it's like that's just crazy to me like you know to add that on to the you know, everything that he's dealing with now. Um, but, you know, we, we hopefully we, we see him, you know, he's a young guy. He's fit. He's an a-, a professional athlete. So, like, hopefully, you know, we, we see him on kind of the low ends of those projections of coming back. And we'll see where he, he factors in, where he comes back. I, I I would, you know, hopefully it's not an injury that cuts out his whole 2023. That would be nuts. Um, and so I, I think, you know, there's still a long way to go here with factoring out where he'll be. Uh, in regards to next year so uh, it's just disappointing though it's just it's just a guy that you know you mentioned Brendan Davis another guy in center field it's like these are guys that you want to count on in some way and there's just so much uncertainty to what's what's happening with them and you there's so much uncertainty that it's hard to even factor in you know We've talked a lot about how Randall mentioned it, like the part of building up your farm system is to be able to trade some of these prospects so you can bring guys in. And when you have an injury like what's what happened with Canario or you have the last year pretty much with Brennan Davis, you don't know how to value these guys. I, you, you can't really trade for a guy who has these major injuries. So it's just, unless somebody really likes them. I mean, we saw the Cubs did trade for Pete Crow Armstrong last year when he missed the entire season and that worked out so far for them. But uh, it's just very disappointing because you would think that, like, this is a key part of their offseason, knowing these certain things and how they're going to factor the 2023. And so it's just it's just horrible. And you, your heart feels for the kid. And
1: yeah. the Cubs have a couple of options as to what they're going to do with that roster spot. But Ronan, with this happening as early in the offseason as it did, it's World Series not even over yet. Do you think this impacts what the Cubs do? in free agency or in trade, given that maybe they were counting on Canario to potentially come up and play important innings for the 2023 Cubs.
0: I don't think so. And I don't think he was going to be a big player factoring into the roster next year. Uh, The Brendan Davis injury bums me out more because I thought he'd be at Wrigley Field in May this year or June this year. And he played 53 games across the entire minor leagues and part of the Arizona Fall League. But no, I don't think so. The Cubs need to prioritize center field, but I don't think it would have even been um, a ton of Brendan Davis going into next season. They need to get a defensive first quality Center fielder, and there's going to be guys in free agency that they're going to have a chance to target there. So, no, I don't think it messes that up, but it does mess up the future for both of these players. It's a violent injury that Canario suffered, and you got to hope that his body bounces back from it. With Davis, it's a lost year after he had all of the momentum in the world. And uh, to be honest with you, my stock in Davis has dropped a ton since the start of this season that I'm kind of looking ahead to P. Crow Armstrong is really that future center fielder for the Cubs and a lot less Brendan Davis. I'm I'm very worried about the B word. I don't want to say it yet. I don't want to to put a a bad thing on Brendan Davis. Who am I to do that? But I'm worried about a guy that was the Cubs number one prospect, maybe not amounting to a whole lot with the big league Cubs these next few years.
1: And we're not even mentioning him right now because the injury took place uh, a while ago, but Miguel Amaya, another former top prospect, who, who again, you're going to have an opening at catcher probably sooner versus later. He has not played significant time in a while. He had the bone injury, the so-called Liz Frank injury with the broken bone in his foot that ended his season. And you know these players who were at the middle the higher level of the minors, and you counted on potentially coming up at some point in the near future, you can't really count on that anymore. We did mention the Cubs have two choices involving Canario and what they can do with that roster spot. They both have their pitfalls. He's already on the 40-man roster. They can promote him to the active roster, place him on the 60-day IL. That frees up that all-important 40-man spot, but it starts his Major League Service clock. Or they can place him on the Minor League IL, which does not start his Service clock, but that is a dead 40-man spot. So you basically got 39 uh spots to play with on your 40 man roster they both have their pitfalls and it's just unfortunate again it's another way in which it potentially makes it harder for the cubs to build the roster they want to build
2: yeah and and yeah and those are decisions that'll probably uh have to be made in uh late march so we'll see where canario is at that point in time in terms of his stage of recovery or or whatever his prognosis but i kind of agree with you ronan that i don't think it necessarily would have factored into their plans for the off season of you know what they were going to do with center field necessarily i do think it obviously factors into like making trades and what they're going to do there but i, I do think maybe a little bit in terms of depth kind of like well what type, what do we want to like they're, i think they're going to acquire a center fielder no matter what but I, it might affect kind of how how much do we want to invest in center field or what type of center fielder do we want to go out and acquire because maybe we thought we had this little bit of depth where if something happens, maybe one of these guys are going to break out to where now, okay, we don't actually have this depth. And so maybe we need to invest a little bit more in the center field because we don't actually have the guys that we think that could maybe come up next year. Um, but I, I I always think, I always think they were always going to go out. I, I don't think ever where they're going to be like, well, we got Brennan Davis and and Alexander Canario and maybe we'll you know, go into next year with – with somebody like, you know, not, and then see if they provide, I think they're always go looking to get a starting center field or something that's going to take the job on day one that they're going to provide for. And so, yeah, I do, I do agree with you that I don't really think it's the, these injuries really kind of change the focus of what they're going to do in the off season necessarily from center field, other than maybe a degree of priority. Sure. Um, I do think that affects how they were going to look at trades. Cause like Alzener Canario was apparently a guy that was being heavily scouted by other teams. And that they were part of what they were doing was just showcasing him and so i think that's a huge hit that the cubs have to take now well injuries
0: suck and it especially sucks when it's minor leaguers that are knocking on the door of a major league roster um tough for them more than any of us like we're frustrated because this impacts cubs depth and things like this um it obviously hurts way more for those guys who've been working their tails off To get to where they're at well let's end with some good news here as i said mervis in the home run derby it's saturday night 8 30 eastern sloan park in mesa so the cubs spring training ballpark Site of the home run derby i see an article here on mlb.com about the players that are in it i see no mention of a tv broadcast are they really not broadcasting this on mlb tv because that is insane
1: nobody fumbles the bag on marketing their product quite like mlb I I would watch a minor league I would watch this AFL home run derby you would watch this AFL home run derby we would watch is the is the fall stars game the AFL all star game is that being televised at least it usually at is, I assume. Yeah. MLB. Okay. I would hope MLB Network can get somebody down there to sit behind a microphone, and I hope they could point one or two cameras at a baseball diamond for that. But it, it's the sort of thing you can't even like stream it with a, like a one camera thing online for people to tune into that way if they want to. It, it's just MLB has no idea how to market their product even the ancillary products like this this you know, minor league prospects, home run derby, people would watch that. You would think there would be some way to square that circle and broadcast it to people who want to watch it in a way that would make sense for you. And I just don't understand why they don't take those steps.
2: I have been impressed that Arizona Fall League games have been available on uh, MLB.tv. Um, and so that, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, you would think somebody would watch the home run derby, but Maybe there's actually only a few people that will watch over Derby. I don't know. I, I would think there's a whole level of prospect hordes, uh, guys online that would want to watch that. But uh, I just want to go on Matt This It's like, when does that guy stop? You know, it's like I've kind of been, I don't want to say disrespecting him, but it's like, okay, maybe this is the level where he's going to look kind of like this year in 2022. That he's kind of going to, and it hasn't. Every time he's going out there, it's like he's getting better and he's hitting the level even more so i'm i'm like well i still think the cubs need a first baseman but like maybe Matt mervis is going to be a guy in 2023 yep. that's going to do something whereas i was like very kind of skeptical but like okay he's a little old for his age but he's just hitting the ball and I, if a guy keeps hitting the ball at some point you got to recognize it and say hey he's just mashing the ball he's mash mervis so uh i've just been thoroughly impressed with that dude
1: I've said it all, all summer and all fall. He just refuses to stop hitting. It's the best way to put it. He, it's not that he, it's not that he's, it stops it. He refuses. He refuses to stop hitting. And you know, it's the sort of thing. Hopefully that carries into spring. Hopefully that carries into big league success. He's just going to refuse to stop hitting. Flat out refuse.
0: That sounds good, and I love the thought of the Cubs going out and getting a first baseman anyway this offseason and have Mervis go into spring training, fighting for a job on that roster, and then maybe earning it or earning playing time as the season goes on. Just don't give it to him. Don't hand it to him. I think it would be a huge mistake for this team to go into next year just sort of thinking, all right, Mervis is just going to – Ease into Wrigley Field, no problems. Give him some competition. It's the best thing you can do for some of these young guys. Well, one thing stands between the Cubs and free agency and a whole lot of chaos starting here in a little over a week, and that is wrapping up this World Series. It has been a good one. The Phillies and the Astros split two in Houston. They come back to Philly last night, and the power just goes out at Citizens Bank Park. Five home runs for the Phillies. They win game three, seven to nothing. We're recording this the night of November 2nd, right now the Phillies are being no hit in the ninth inning the Astros cruising tonight five nothing to lead so it looks like we're going to head into a game five tomorrow with this series set up two and two folks this is lining up to be a a game seven type series it feels like between these two teams
1: there's zero question in my mind that this series is going seven and how about that the there's nothing anybody loves more than a combined no hitter and we are three outs away from getting one in the world series that's very exciting, and I'm being half sarcastic, half not. Uh, the, yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies they hit s- multiple home runs, they hit five of them last night, and they were all tanks. And then they potentially get no hit tonight, and uh, that's the, the duality of man, I guess.
2: Yeah, and how about the fact that there's only ever been uh, what two ever uh, no hitters in the postseason before you have Don Larson in the 1956 World Series, and the only World Series. No hitter. And then you have Roy Halladay and of the Philadelphia Phillies throwing a no hitter in Citizens Bank ballpark in, I think, 2011. So if there's a no hitter, two of the postseason out of will be three will have occurred in Citizens Bank ballpark in the postseason.
0: Yeah, that's wild. That is is really, really cool stat there, Jeremy. And I want to say this. I don't often credit Philly fans for anything. They've been kicking ass this postseason. And I just think the difference between watching games in Philly and watching games in Houston has been night and day. So credit where it's due here. They may be assholes. They may be difficult. Those Phillies fans have shown up. And it has been an awesome, awesome environment there. And it's so cool watching Schwarber or Harper with that place going nuts hit these majestic home runs out of the ballpark. You know, it gives me chills. And, of course, I'm pulling for the Phillies here over Houston.
1: Uh, the, the words I've used to describe Phillies fans foul and unkempt, but in the face of playing the Astros, there's a kind of chaotic energy to them that I think is what the world needs right now. Um, so, yeah, you know, if they do pull that out, I will be very happy for Kyle Schwarber and we'll be happy for Castellanos. I will be happy for Harper, whom I like and whom should have been a cub. And that's probably another thing I'm going to harp on for a, a long time. His name is Harper. So we're not going to let it go anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I'll be more happy for the team, maybe for the fans. But Ronan, to to what you said, they have been showing up in this World Series and they have just been making that building shake. So good for them.
0: And I'll harp about something too that's been bothering me as I've been watching the postseason here. The Cubs non-tendered Kyle Schwarber. I I don't want anybody to ever forget that. We're talking about not offering that guy a contract over a difference of like two or $3 million. It's absurd. And if anybody wants to say to you, Oh, Tom Ricketts isn't cheap. The Cubs aren't cheap. They had a big payroll in 2019. The Cubs non-tendered Kyle Schwarber over a couple million dollars. Horrible, horrible. And I'm all in on Jed. I love this front office outside of ownership. I love the baseball ops guys. That's a bad move. And that one didn't work out for the Cubs. And good for him for going out and continuing to uh, shove it because it's been awesome watching him hit the ball out of the ballpark.
2: That's what
1: Schwarber does. He's a shover. He shoves things and he's been shoving.
2: He's been shoving. Yeah. When he hits them, they're majestic and you can never deny a Kyle Schwarber home run. They're some of the best sights in baseball. But the one thing I will give for the Philly fans, they've been up and I agree with you guys. They've been crazy. Um, And I would expect them to be more than the Houston fans who have been the World Series for the last six years. So it's a little bit of a different drive down there. But still, the Philly fans, give them all the credit in the world. They've been they've been awesome.
0: That, that is fair, like they've had more success in Houston, but it's a mindset thing, I think. Philadelphia, you got a little bit in common there, people who live in a place like Philly, uh, us back in Chicago, right? When you live in a place that's cold, and when you live in a place that has these sports teams that fail a lot of the time, it builds a certain fan base that I don't think you have in Houston. It's like a yeah. different type of person. And I think as a Midwestern person, someone from Chicago, I see more of myself in those Philly fans than I see in anybody from Houston. It's like a different world down in Texas, and I think it breeds a different level of intensity. It doesn't it gets hot as hell and humid in Houston? I know that, but it doesn't it breed
1: breeds a different level of bacteria, is what it breeds.
0: Yeah, it, it's a whole different ball game, and uh, we'll see. But I'm, I'm pulling for Philly, and I'll say it here: one more prediction with uh, just a couple of games to go this season. Phillies in seven sounds good to me. I'll there take it.
1: Phillies in seven works for me.
0: All right, one more thing I want to talk about here, rule changes. We've already talked about the big ones for next year, something that Randall's guy, Rob Manfred, brought up today. So technically, the Manfred man is not set up for next season, right? There have been individual year-by-year circumstances where this runner at second base to start extra innings, that rule is not a guarantee or a lock for next year. But Rob Manfred today said, well, it's probably going to be. It's popular, he says, with coaches, with ownership groups. It's popular with players. And Rob Manfred Randall says it's popular with the fans. So it's probably here to stay.
1: Well, this is me winding up, coming set, checking the runner. He delivers and he tells Rob Manfred, go to hell, you bastard. It's not popular with me. And I'm a single issue voter this, this election season. And that single issue is that Rob Manfred is a clown. And his ghost runner is also a clown rule. So I don't know who he's been talking to. He has not asked me because if Rob Manfred were to ask me, I would tell him that I hate his rule. I think it sucks. I don't think it belongs in Major League Baseball. So Rob Manfred, pull a better class of fan about your rule. Pull a wider sample. There's no way, none. No chance that the fans have told you that they like that rule. You pulled it out of your ass like everything else you did. I stand by it. I see you cringing. You can say your piece. I've said mine. I don't like it. Go to hell.
2: I've thought the Manford man was pretty much here to stay ever since I heard a 2020 podcast with uh, Jed Hoyer when he effusively praised the Manford man, talking about how great it was for baseball and how much enough jerk-off
1: motions in the world.
2: And, you know i play the i've never heard a player i've never heard a manager a gm anybody who's worked in baseball say a bad thing about it so when they've never said a bad thing about it and they've all praised it i'm like there's there's no way this is ever gonna leave yeah. there's no way and it's just you know i think it sucks i i think there should be at least some sort of compromise push it back a few innings or something i yeah. don't agree with it i don't know what other fans could possibly like it i i don't know I guess some must be out there, but I do agree with you, Randall. I, I can't imagine the fans like it, but when everybody in the game seems to love it, I just feel like it's it's got to be here to stay. So it's unfortunate, but I don't see any way that disappears.
0: Well, ultimately that will be the reason why the players like it. The coaches like it. They're going to move forward with it, but I'll counter a little bit. I think there are a lot of fans that do in fact like it. I think we're kind of in the minority and that I don't mind being out at the ballpark for 16 innings. If that's how long it takes to get through a ball game. And one of the most memorable Cubs games ever went to was a game that went well into the night and John Baker did his thing. But I don't think that's the typical fan. And there's a reason that Jeremy, when you and I were wrapping that thing up, there were what? 4,000 people.
2: There was nobody there. Yeah, maybe 1,000 people in the ballpark at that point. When when players on the field can hear what our group is yelling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I do think that it is here to stay. Uh, Here's a question for you guys, though, as hockey folks. I saw some folks online saying, well, you don't hear – Hockey fans bitching about the different overtime rules in the regular season versus the postseason. Uh, is that true? I mean, I, I don't follow hockey in the way that you guys do. And to me, it doesn't totally seem comparable as um, there still are ties, right? Or there were ties, at least in hockey for a long time. There's not ties anymore. I don't know. Yeah, not
2: I don't think that's true at all because I, I at least for me, I, I hate the shootout rules. I hate the current rules hockey. I would rather have ties and go back to the old way Hmm. pre 2006 that they had it. Um, And I, I just, I, I hate like, for me, it's like you, you play and it's kind of the same with the way it is in, in, you know, you play 60 minutes of a game in hockey and then, and then plus another five minutes, which is three on three, which is not quite the same, um, but it is exciting and exhilarating. And then you go to like a, a shootout, which really has nothing to do with any of the skills that are kind of involved in a hockey game so it's like you go to this completely different format that really and that's what decides it i hate that so i'd rather i'd rather have a tie at least in baseball it's like okay you're still using the same skills you're still doing the same thing um but i i just hate i hate shootouts in hockey so for me i know i i complain about it so i i don't call that i call bs on that statement
1: Yeah, I'm a little more of a casual hockey observer than you are, Jeremy, but probably a little more closer of an observer than Ronan is. So I'm right in the middle here. I don't much like the shootouts. And, you know, you said three on three sudden death is a different rule set than in for the the previous 60 minutes, which it is. But there's just so much more excitement in that three on three sudden death overtime than there is in potentially losing a game because a team comes up with a runner on second and nobody out. And they drive in that run with a ground out and a fly ball to driving the runner from third and then a strikeout. They make three outs in the inning, but a run still scores. I, I don't think you quite get that kind of uh, small ball is giving it too much credit, but that kind of just making outs, but still winning the game in overtime hockey. I think they're just so fundamentally different as different as hockey and baseball are to the point where I would not put the three on three overtime in the same category as the Manfred rule.
0: Jeremy, did you say
2: ties have not been in hockey since 2006? Yes. <laughs> oh, man.
0: just <laughs> was to show you how much I've been paying it, They
2: got rid of ties after that when they canceled the whole uh, season, which was 2004, 2005. Yeah. And that's when shootouts were implemented.
0: Okay. Well, I don't watch hockey. I really don't. It's not uh, in my purview too much here. But, again, right now, there is no Manfred rule for the 2023 season. Keep it's it something- that way. They'll have to agree to, but Rob Manfred coming out today and saying, yeah, we expect it to happen. I don't agree to it. It's going to happen. Uh, One other thing here, 88, kind of a tough number given what we just talked about, Randall. One person has worn it in team history. Who's that? In fact, we'll we'll call him King Irony himself, the, the Irony Coach.
1: Greg Brown, the just-fired hitting coach, is the one player or coach to wear number 88 in or during a regular season game, which I did not realize until cracking open the website this evening. That, of course, is Cubs by the Numbers, run by the incomparable Casey Ignarski. Find his website online, CubsByTheNumbers.com. Find him on Twitter, at KCI 99, if you are so inclined. But yes, that is the sole number 88 in Cubs history, the just fired former hitting coach, Greg Brown. How's that for a little bit of serendipity?
0: Yeah. Uh, and then a fun one next week. When we get to number 89, I want to end with this though, not Cubs related. It has been a wild week for the Chicago bears. Jeremy, you're the season ticket holder here in the group. Uh, you get the loss in Dallas, a game that looked like they were getting blown out early. They kind of cut it to four points and then they end up getting blown out. Anyway, then a bunch of trades happen. You get rid of your best defensive player. You go out and get a controlled wide receiver. So you're the bears STH in here. Uh you happy with the week we've had here with this trade deadline or what should Bears fans be feeling?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, it's so hard. It's like, you know, you you love Roquan, you want a guy like that to stay a Bear, but you know, this 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 front office obviously didn't value, um, you know, a middle linebacker. It's not quite the the same kind of sport as it was a few years ago, where like that was a, a premier position guy. It's not really that guy, and. You know, Roquan kind of burned some bridges. I think. I think his trade demand in the in the in training camp and whatever kind of I don't. I think that kind of forced Ryan Pohl's hand, and he he made the trade. So I I, I did think it was a good trade. They got the pieces back. You know, the Bears aren't going to probably not going to go anywhere this season. He's a free agent, so you might as well get the draft picks. And then with the other trade, the Claypool, I, I I just view it as kind of a confidence in Justin Fields. You see Justin Fields playing well the last two weeks, and the team's like, okay, let's get. This some a guy, I'm a little disappointed that it was the Bears' second rounder, not the newly acquired Ravens second rounder that they gave up. But you know, we'll see. We'll see if Chase Claypool could be a kind of a wide receiver that helps out Justin Fields because he needs help. And you know, he has one year left on his deal. We'll have him next year. Uh, and then I assume if he plays well, the Bears will give him a contract. And so, yeah, I, I think you know, the Bears have so much money to spend in the salary cap. So I, I think these are good moves.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm for it. I liked Roquan a lot. Great player. As the kids say, he had that dog, D-A-W-G, of course. He had that dog in him, but he, re- he represents himself in the negotiations. He ostensibly asked the Bears for a trade, and then they traded him, and Roquan said, I was surprised to be traded. So I'm not, I'm not sure what you thought was going to happen there, pal. But I'm sad to see Roquan go. But this is a move that I was surprised to see, but it was a very pleasant surprise. And Jeremy, it's a great way to put it. This is showing confidence in Justin Fields. This is saying we've seen you grow just in the last two or three weeks. We're going to go out and get you a new weapon in the form of Chase Claypool, really good receiver. um, And we're going to integrate him into this offense and see if we can't help make you better. And like you said, it's showing confidence in Justin Fields, which I, I like to see this regime doing because there's always somebody with uh, delusions of grandeur in the national media trying to push the narrative that this front office doesn't like Fields since they weren't the ones who traded the draft capital to, to draft him. Um, so yeah, I like them showing confidence in Justin Fields. I like them getting him receiver help. I like them getting something useful for a player who wasn't going to resign here. It, it's These are on the surface really good moves and we're not used to we're not quite used to seeing a bears front office uh, make shrewd moves like this and i'm hoping it plays out going forward
2: well the one thing i am a little disappointed in i do feel like they could have done a little more before the season started um in yeah, terms you of, know that's fair uh, and you know last year they drafted one offensive player and it was a 25 year old dude who's fast but can't catch and so it's like i don't see how he fits in to the off in into the offense so it's like they i feel like they should have done more before this point to give justin fields somebody to throw to but i'm happy he has another guy to throw to and we'll see i mean maybe a guy like nakil harry also comes back caught a touchdown pass last week so um i'm just happy to see justin fields grow uh i think that's the most important thing for the bears can hope for get justin fields playing well and then everything else will fall into place and so you need to get your quarterback to play well that's the most important thing
1: 100 correct getting justin fields out of this season confident and playing well is the top priority. You're not going anywhere this season. People are complaining. This is going to make the defense so much worse. So much worse relative to what exactly? Yeah. And yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of this move. Uh, like Jeremy, he made a good point. It's kind of like Polls did not really study for the test in the offseason. and now he's scrambling. The only real offensive addition in, in the draft is that Velas Jones Jr. This feels like they could have maybe gotten one, gotten someone similar in the offseason either in the draft or in free agency but better late than never. And Ronan you you I know you're a Bears guy. The Bears are your number 2 team and it's a it's a big drop off after that. Uh, were you as shocked as I was to to check the news on Tuesday and see the Bears traded for Chase Claypool?
0: I was just surprised that they did a little bit of both. Pleasantly surprised that they sold and bought and that's what they should be doing right now, especially if it's trying to improve some targets for their star quarterback or the guy they think will be their star quarterback. I don't know about Claypool. Like he had a really good rookie season a couple years ago. He's been pretty bad since Mitch has been his quarterback. That doesn't help either. So I, it's a good move to make here. You're right, Jeremy, when we heard it was a second round pick, you're hoping it's the pick they traded for not their pick, which is higher, but we'll see, but it's kind of cool to see the bears go out. Do a little bit of both build for the future while also adding something into the mix here. And it, it makes it worth watching moving forward because there's plenty of losses ahead of this Bears team this year. But you have a, one of those games, just one game the rest of the way where these two guys link up. You get a couple of cool touchdown catches and it gives you hope for next year. And that's what I'm most interested in right now.
1: Well, he said Mitch, 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 has been as long as Rex hasn't been his quarterback because, you know, Rex is our quarterback. Uh, Yeah, you know, if the Bears don't win another game and they'll 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 luck into some wins down. But if they are if they're you see them able to put up 21, 24, 28 points per game with an improved Justin Fields and with an improved receiver that he's throwing to, it's worth it. And, you know, that's kind of what we have to look forward to is hopefully uh, I I don't want to say hopefully, but very good chance that we look forward to seeing a whole lot of, you know, 41 to 28 losses down the stretch. And again, if it means an improved Justin Fields, then it's worth it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the most important thing is an improved Justin Fields. I just want Justin. if that means the bears have luck into a few wins because Justin Fields played well, I'm for that. I, I, I think Justin Fields playing well, I repeat it again, is by far the most important thing that you can ever, you can ask for the quarterback because, or excuse me, from the season, because your quarterback is your most important part and you want that guy to improve. If, if, If Justin Fields kind of regresses or goes back to whatever, then I feel like this is just a wasted season. The Bears are going to have to start all over again at some point at the quarterback. So you just need to get him playing well, and if getting him another weapon really helps him with that, I think that's a good thing. Good stuff. Well, as we bring this to close, the Phillies still
0: hitless through eight and a third innings right now. Bottom of the ninth, Schwarber just walked. We'll go watch the end of this ball one. The next time that we talk. There will be a new World Series champion. It's either going to be Dusty Baker or Nick Castellanos. So we'll see who walks away with the crown here. Then plenty of Cubs off-season talk to get to as we continue to roll things forward. You can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. For Jeremy and Randall, we'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.